Okay. Welcome, everybody. It's Sunday reading day. You know, I love these days. At first, when I started doing them with the Ghost of Life 401 and, you know, the stuff I was doing, I was kind of like, I don't know, it's a Sunday, beautiful, you know, especially with the weather turning spring. But you know what? I love them. I, I love doing this. I love reading these books. And there used to be a guy, when I was a kid, there used to be this guy on TV. And every, every Sunday morning, I think, yeah, every Sunday morning, he would be on around like 7, 8 o'clock, just for the kids. And he would read the comics from the newspaper. So it was called Mr. Al Sunday Funnies. And I used to get up, you know, and have my little bowl of cereal. I didn't cook back then. You know, I was only like probably five or six. But I had, but the the the, the milk was down low enough in my house to where I could I could get the milk and grab my bowl of Lucky Charms and sit there and have my bowl of cereal and watch Mr. Al. Remember Miss Pat's Playroom too, guys. Remember that? Anyway, um, Mr. Al and the Sunday Funnies. That's how I look at this. You know, it's like we all get together here and we sit down and, and, and we pick a good book and read it. And this book we're reading right now is great. The Way Through the Woods. Anna Maria Manalo. Excellent book. All right. So uh, we're going to continue. We're in Chapter 11. So I'm going to give people time to come on. It's beautiful outside here. We've hit spring. And just remember, everybody, April's coming, so it's going to rain like a mother. But... uh I didn't do a lot done this weekend. I was tired. But you guys got to remember, I live rock star hours, okay? Because I'm trying to get guests for the show and everything. So I'm up real late at night. So it catches up to me after a while. So I have to have like three or two or three days to crash. And that's what I did. But today I actually got out and um, I had made a wreath. My mother used to make wreaths when I was growing up or when I was younger, not growing up so much. My mother was real crafty. And uh, I never noticed how she made them or anything because I was too busy working at the time. And, you know, and I was into my friends and all that, all that scene. So, um, but I knew they existed because I still have one in the, in the back, back here of hers. And there's one in my backyard too of hers that's remaining. And so I was at the dollar store, you know, how they have like the wreath making stuff. And I got a bug up my butt to make a wreath. And I did this and I, I made it in uh, like two nights. One morning. Glue gun should not be used unless under proper adult supervision. <laughs> I now have two holes in my hand. See that? You can kind of see the band-aid there. I got a band-aid here. From dripping hot glue. Hopefully one won't require medical attention. I think I'm pretty good, but wow. I, you know, any woman who goes in to get waxed, hot wax, you have my heart because man, I... I'll tell you, a killer. And uh, wow, I've never suffered burns that, that that bad. But that's okay. You know, that's part of the game when you use a glue gun, I guess. But uh, anyway, the wreath turned out really nice. And today I spent uh, the afternoon cleaning my front screen with Morax and all kinds of stuff, trying to get the dirt and dust off. Because, I mean, this is one of these things where my, my parents were both elderly and, you know, they just didn't get to stuff like that. So I finally got to it this year. Got all the gunk off. I was going to paint it. Changed my mind. Cleaned it. Got all the gunk off. Put my wreath up. Pictures. For those of you that know me on Facebook and Instagram, you can catch the photos there of what the wreath looks like. But it's, it looks like nothing. Like, in person, you have to see it in person. And because I'm so into, like, the Aloha spirit and all that, I made sure I used, like, flowers I'd seen in Hawaii. So it's got lilies on there, and it's got um, tuber roses. And it's got some, it's got some ivy, tuber roses, lilies, and uh, 
I keep forgetting that that one thing. Hang on a second. I keep forgetting what that flower is. My grandmother used to grow these things. The name sometimes people call them snowball flowers. My grandmother used to grow these things in our yard. We had them like every color. And uh, here we go. Hang on, hang on. Let me look. See, when I go on Facebook to remember things. Senility. When you hit after over 50, you're, you're senile. Ah, hydrangeas. I've seen hydrangeas in Hawaii. So, yeah, it's, it's mainly plants that I saw in Hawaii that I put on this thing. And it was all from the dollar store. So it only ran me like 15 bucks to make this 18-inch wreath. So it was pretty cool. Turned out really nice. Another, another minute, we'll get growing here. Now, last week, I ended up turning off the spotlight because I have, I have contacts in. And it's just a glare when I'm trying to read because I have the thing off to the right because I want to be able to see the stream yard to make sure everything's running good or running well. So I have it off to the right, and it kind of glares in, so I might turn it off again. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, we are on Chapter 11 of the book, and uh, I want to make sure everybody has time to get in, and I think we're ready to go. Great book. I'm not going to attempt ta ta speaking German today. I tried last week. It's just not going to happen. But uh, if I do come across anything like that that I could possibly sound out and hope for the best, I'll try it. And I may have to, you know, occasionally lean forward and make adjustments on, on the PDF screen, you know, the PDF that I'm reading. But I'll try not to. But like I said, you know, if, if, the, if the spotlight bugs me, I, I will just shut it, shut it down. Because, I'm not, you know, right now I can hear my throat. Right now I'm dealing with allergies from, from every spring springing, you know, spring sprunging and springing and all that. Oh, I want to make one thank you, too, to Jennifer Martin for the generous donation. I ordered the new headphones uh, yesterday, and they'll be here Monday, hopefully in time for tomorrow's show. See the screen flash? That's the internet. See, my internet is having issues. Um, so they'll hopefully they'll be here in time tomorrow for the show. So I'm real excited about that. They're a nice set of monitoring headphones. Also, our event on the 26th. If you haven't got your tickets yet, please do that. Um, there's one left. There's one spot left, okay? So you visit uh, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com and check out special events, and it'll it'll come up under there. Or if you're in the meetup, pick it up on the meetup. But that's it. There's one ticket left. So if you guys want to go, this is it. You can flip a coin, do what you got to do. But uh, that's it. We're sold out, okay? We'll probably do another event in a couple months. I'm not going to do them every month, but uh, I'm trying to figure all that out. But that's it. That's the way the cookie crumbles, right? I know your dad probably said that. Mine did too. Anyway, welcome. So let's do this. <clears throat> We're in chapter 11. And like I said, if I have to lean forward and make adjustments to the PDF, chapter by chapter, I'll do that. Because I do have it like blown up because I'm blind. <laughs> but uh, here we go. Agatha's shoulders were way past the throngs of women looking at baskets and all manner of leather goods. A heavy set woman accidentally pushes too close, almost upending Agatha's basket of goods. Agatha pauses to check the eggs and meat that lay parceled among the bread. A good sale of embroidered handkerchiefs yielded, yielded good food and much-needed bread. The breadmen had stopped coming, now recruited to help build shells for the army. Between people milling about, she spots, to her consternation, Mila, walking with a piece of luggage, trudging breathless among the sellers and customers. I'm going to bring this up. Okay, there we go. Okay, Agatha takes a second look in disbelief. Mila? 
At a loss as to what to do, Agatha follows, unsure if she, unsure if she, unsure if she is Celia Mila or someone who reminds her, who resembles her, until she recognizes the dress that she just mended a few days before. It is Mila. She can't yell her name. All she can do is see. That's what I mean. This is moving, so let me move this over. There we go. All she can do is follow her and try to catch her undetected amongst the throng of customers. Mila appears lost and searching. The grill appears to be headed for the square, an open area. Oh, no. Agatha dashes after the grill, now unheeding the peril. Two German soldiers stand by the edge of the square, chatting, smoking. Mila passes them, but they do not see her. Above Agatha, a Nazi, fl Nazi flag waves in the air, suspended from a building. A boy of ten approaches Mila, grabbing her suitcase. Train to catch? It is the boy who was watching the group of civilians with Krista the day before. The one who took delight in what the soldiers were doing to the civilians as they labored. Mila half smiles, unsure. Yes? I can carry it for you. The boy walks confidently, as if the suitcase isn't heavy. Mila follows, relieved she doesn't have to carry it. On the back of the boy's collar, a khaki outfit with the white shirt, Mila sees an embroidered swastika. It looks familiar. Then she remembers what it means. It is the same uniform Krista wears during school days. Then she frowns, recalling the conversation she overheard at breakfast. Mila, seized suddenly with fear, tries to grab her suitcase. I can take it now. The boy ignores her, a grin on his face. It's not a problem. Mila dashes up to the boy and grabs it. Hey, let's go. Hey, sorry. Hey, let it go. All right, Snake Eyes, if you insist, he walks off. Adjustment here. Agatha watches the interlude and sighs in relief when I'm going to make this bigger. Is what I'm going to do. Just hang on, so I don't have to go through this. So just give me a minute. There we go. We're just going to do this. Okay, that should do it. Agatha watches the interlude and sighs in relief when the boy walks away. <clears throat> then she follows him with her eyes, her basket clutched in her hands, knuckles tense and white. He approaches the two soldiers who were smoking and points out Mila, who is walking with determination to the train platform. Agatha dashes to the side and stops, unable to breathe. She is torn, unable to decide whether to save Mila or to save her family. Under her breath, she whispers, I'm sorry, Emma. She turns to walk away and then hears a whistle. Quickly, she walks toward the side street, past several, past several sellers, trying to avoid detection. Guilt and something like agony assail her features as she turns to watch from behind a row of crated vegetables at a stand. On the boy's tip, the soldiers have taken Mila's luggage as the taller one pulls her by the hand. Mila appears to be questioning the man who is smiling down at her. Finally, she relents. He has convinced her to go with him. Agatha emerges from behind the stall of vegetable, crates, and follows from a distance. The soldier stops and tosses the luggage into the back of a cart. Then they both pick up Mila and push her into the back of a black truck. Several people appear to be lying on the pavement, waiting to enter. Mila was the first to enter. Then Mila reappears, squeezing herself through a front window and drops to the ground. A soldier quickly turns and grabs Mila, hauling her back to the truck. Mila appears angry. The rest of the people are now forced with rifles to enter the truck. There is a commotion. Yelling, mayhem, Agatha sways in shock. She drops her basket, rooted to the ground. She picks it up, tears welling. Between the tears, she sees her eggs in the ba basket of old broken. 
but one. Chapter 12 Horst efficiently brushes the new Nazi uniform, the lapel glinting with the insignia of the SS. Around him, handsomely tailored clothing hangs, covering the walls in style like a department store in Paris. Hats of all sorts complement the shelves. Here and there, women's clothing of the day, fashionably displayed on mannequins with matching shoes and hats. The door slams, and the man, <clears throat> and the man Brigfierhebeher, who ordered the suit from two weeks ago, enters, salutes, Nazi style, and horse salutes back without resolve. He is still tentative, but willing himself to please and to remain obscure for the sake of his family. The man, tall and slim, a commanding figure among a few customers that bright afternoon, smiles when he sees the uniform horse made for him. He touches it as if in worship, walks around it, and pauses. Horst has a new outfit displayed on a hanger by itself, the pants hanging, the pants hanging, and shoes to match also displayed on a pedestal reserved for customers to admire. The man looks down at Horst, a few inches taller than he, perfectly styled. You do elegant work. Thank you, Mr. Commandant. Thank you, Herr Commandant. Horst offers the nearby tea service. A set of fine bone china in hues of pastel green and light pink. The service is markedly more feminine than Horst and his colleagues would have liked, but Agatha picked it out, and it was a fashionable lusterware. The pot is still steaming, tastefully decorated with teacups to match to match by Ostermark of Bavaria. It glints in the light. And it glints in the light of the scones and chandelier. The man eyes the confections instead, unimpressed by the tea. He grabs one quickly from a cake plate, gilded in gold, and pops it in his mouth. Again, I need to pass on the tea, perhaps next time. Yes, perhaps in the future. The man muses, looking away. I'd like to please ask you a favor. Horst raises an eyebrow. Yes? I have a few friends here. They need tailoring as well. In the same style, you see. Horst nods. Glad to get more customers. The man eyes him with meaning. For the men, in service of the Reich. Horst attempts to glean whether the man is asking him to make uniforms for free. The man quickly sums up Horst's look. For a very handsome fee, of course. Horst inwardly relaxes. Food and rent were raised recently, and the vegetable garden is only yielding a harvest barely fit for the family. Mila eats a lot, he thinks. He is thinking he can, he can really use the, use the account, as Agatha is at the market getting eggs and meat, which are getting more and more expensive. It appears that most of it is being reserved for the German soldiers and their elite, who do not purchase handkerchiefs or dainty towels for their wives. Of course I will be happy to see them. But the material for this garment, Horace is thinking how much more and more fabrics are going to get, are and getting hard to procure. That won't be a problem. The Reich will provide it for you, and only your labor is needed, or, I mean, your expertise, your tailoring, which is impeccable. Horse feels himself blush at the compliment, wondering what is next. You live nearby? Yes, Linkenbach, her commandant. The man pauses, taking in the furniture of the shop, which is high-end. Polished wood? Beach? Why not Frankfurt? Horse has to think. Too far from the shop? Yes, Herr. We like the small village atmosphere, too. The man is deep in thought. The Schneiders of Blickenbach. I seem to recall a few rental homes there. Horst nods, now tentative. He recalls the incident where he had to intervene for the Beckmans. 
you are renting, or were you renting from a Jewish woman, correct? Her sister, yes. Let me move this over a little bit. Her sister, yes. Horse is now distraught. Horse is now distraught, wondering if this confession will lead to difficulties. The man clears his throat. You need a proper house. You need not rent, especially from a heathen. Horst is swearing now. The rent has not been raised for several years until recently, and we are grateful for the past kindness. Times are hard here, Commandant. I understand, but for a man of your caliber, it should never be raised. This is said in a tone of reproach. Without hesitation, the man takes the clothing from the hangar and strides to the door. He turns his horse salutes in a fashion that clearly is out of duty to protect his family. The man salutes back. Herr Schneider, from this day forward, your lodging is free. I will see to it that you are properly accommodated. The man turns, strides out. A chauffeur, manicured and dressed in uniform for a livery, opens the passenger back door to let the commandant in. Horse shuts his eyes. But it isn't against the sun's glare from the gleaming car outside. Chapter 13 Agatha dejectedly drops the basket by the front door, entering crying. Krista dashes to her mother as Agatha shuts the door behind her. Mama, I cannot find Mila. Yes, she has been caught. Krista looks back aghast. Agatha enters, looking defeated. She must have overheard our conversation this morning. Oh, Mama, how could she? She did and had a suitcase with her. Where is she now? Agatha looks out the window. Down to the right, a few doors down at the edge of the street, is the Beckmans. Stay here, Krista. If you hear or see anyone in uniform, run upstairs and hide where Mila used to go. Why, Mama? Agatha looks back in terror. Because, my dear, if they find out from her, hang on a second, if they find out from her how she evaded being detected, we are done. Krista's face is a mirror of growing dread. You don't think they would? Agatha nods. They just might. I have to go tell Emma. I have to tell her what happened. Prefer, prepare her for the worst and make sure she knows they're in peril now. Wait, Mama, what if the soldiers are coming? They can't see you. Agatha breaks away, shaking her head. I have to tell Emma. At least she should know her daughter is gone. Be back quickly, Mama. Be back quickly, Mama. Agatha levels eye to eye with Krista, begging her daughter. Remember, do not open the door for anyone. I will stop back at the door and knock twice. Then I will knock twice again. Agatha hugs her daughter, then covers her head despite the heat with a cotton shawl. She steps out, closing the door. Krista reaches for the bolt and secures it. Agatha looks left, then right, then walks towards the Beckman rental home. All the stone, all stone with three floors. It is larger than theirs. She spots Irma's younger sister, Sylvia, as she exits her, her own door, headed in the same direction. The five-point star on her breast looks wilted, her gait defeated. Agatha pauses mid-stride as it dawns on her that Sylvia is on her way to collect a month's rent. In a few minutes, they will be at the front door of the Beckmans, together, and she will be ready with her own fee, as the tailoring shop is having a windfall courtesy of the new business they were receiving from Frankfurt. The news of horse skills as a tailor continues to keep them in comfort, though the meat, eggs, and cheese are scarce at the market. Sylvia raps on the Beckman's wooden door, which opens separately at the top, then the bottom, which has a separate latch. Before Emma can open the door, Agatha greets Sylvia. Good morning, Sylvia. Demurely, the woman looks back in, in deference after the incident at the train station. Good morning. 
Agatha knows she feels the guilt of the incident, as if it only happened yesterday. To ease the woman, she tells her the rent is ready and offers to, to pick some vegetables from the garden. It is the least she can do if Sylvia is willing. Thank you, Agatha. I will come around. How is Mila? Agatha blushes in the awkwardness of the moment. Emma opens the top half of the door just as Mila's name was mentioned. A pregnant pause. Agatha is not ready, although it was the sole purpose of her visit to the Beckmans, but not with Sylvia listening. Emma glances back at Agatha, expecting a reply, but is aghast at Agatha's reaction, plainly written on her face. Agatha? I'm sorry, Sylvia. Please, go ahead and conclude your transaction. I am intruding. Agatha steps away as Emma hands Sylvia her fee. Sylvia pauses expectantly, waiting for a reply from Agatha, and feels the tension. Emma looks back, her face beginning to show alarm. Agatha clarifies, Emma, do you mind if I come in, please? Sylvia reads between the lines and steps away. I must get going. Agatha looks back, willing herself to not show her tears. Please, Sylvia, when you have time, I mean it about the vegetables. Sylvia nods and turns away. Chapter 14 Emma opens the bottom latch of the front door, and Agatha bursts in, finally giving way to, to her tears. Please tell me what happened. Em Emma's pinafore shows stains from the beats, almost like blood. It conjures memories of what may have happened to Mila. Agatha looks at it and swoons. Emma catches her friend and walks her to a chair. The door swings in the breeze, open to the new heat. She's gone. My God, I am so sorry. What do you mean? Who? Who is gone? Emma's horror and agony are playing on her face. Agatha stands. I saw Mila at the market. With a suitcase, she ran from the house. Emma drops to the floor, prostate. Why? Did something happen? Agatha looks out the window. I think it's because Krista didn't want to go to use Corey longer. She was concerned someone there might would catch us with Mila. Emma stands up, emotions conflicted. She is grateful Agatha has hidden Mila all these years, but can't understand why Krista would discuss it with Mila in the room. She wasn't in the room, Emma. I sent her up to her bath. I needed a private moment with Krista, as she'd been troubled for a few days. But Mila must have overheard us. What was Krista saying? Agatha looked down. There was a labor camp. She and this boy stumbled upon. And it bothered her so much. But it bothered her more that this boy found it funny. One of her pupils. And what was funny? The way the soldiers were torturing and mocking people like Irma. And people like us who help children. Like mine. Yes, Agatha looked drained. Pained. Emma grabbed her sleeve. Where is my daughter now? Where did they take her? Agatha walks to the door. The soldiers took her after some boy pointed her out. It might have been why Krista was scared for her. For us. The boy was about the age for the youth course. Agatha walked out the door as Emma followed. I am going to get her. Agatha whirled around. I don't think you can. They put her in the they, they put her in a black van for the laborers who lined up. Agatha walks away. Emma sobbing behind Emma sobbing behind her, begging. We can't just leave her there. Horst has to get her. He did it before. Agatha snakes her sorry. Agatha shakes her head, not willing any more to save Mila and jeopardize her own family. She turns back alarmed to the neighbors. She turns back alarmed that the neighbors were here as they are outside the house. Go back inside, Emma. 
They now know Mila is real. Go back and lock yourself in. I'm so sorry Mila overheard. Agatha continues to stride towards her own house, willing herself to ignore Emma's pleas behind her. So sorry? So sorry? How could you be so careless? You know how sensitive Mila is. Ahead of Agatha, Sylvia is standing under the sun, sweating, looking pointedly at Agatha. The young woman has a deep look of sorrow, fear, and pity. She obviously heard everything from where she is standing. Fear grows as Agatha approaches their own home. They might have to hide just in case Mila gave them away as her refuge. She walks to the back door, Sylvia following behind her. At the backyard, Agatha leans down and picks up a basket, handing it to Sylvia. Whatever you can pick is yours. I'll be back in a few minutes. Krista opens the back door in time for Agatha to knock. Agatha's stress is palpable. She yells at Krista. I told you not to open the door until I unlocked it. Until I, until I knocked. I'm sorry. Until I knocked. Krista reels back with the force of Agatha's yell. She leans against the wall as if attacked. I'm sorry, Mama. I saw you and Sylvia before you knocked. Agatha grabs Krista by the arm, shaking her. You have to listen when I tell you. Listen. Krista looks back in shock. Yes, Mama. Yes. Listen. Yes, I will listen. Agatha turns away, surveying the house. She is taking in what she has to gather in preparation to flee. A sharp rap at the front door, then more loud knocking. Agatha looks up, approaches the window, and sees two Gestapo in uniform, standing expectantly by the front door. She shoves Krista towards the stairs. Krista dashes up the steps as Agatha dashes out the back door in time to see Sylvia apprehended by two soldiers. Her arms locked behind her by one and the other holding her hair. As she struggles, the men laugh. The front door slams open. Agatha Schneider? A loud and angry male voice reverberates through the house. Chapter 15 Horse packs his briefcase, ready to depart for the day. The afternoon sun is now descending behind the building. The shadows of passerby on the ground in front pass the glass from the windows of the shop. Another tailor, his assistant, waves good evening and exits. The door dings once. Another customer? Horse looks up to find another man, dressed in an SS uniform, a white armband on his sleeve, holding the door open. The man enters and clicks his heels in salute. Good evening, Herr Schneider. Perplexed, Horse salutes back, his heels quiet. The man smiles. Brigafier Bear has arrived. The man turns to open the door, and in comes the commandant himself. The man is beaming. Horse salutes again. This time his heels click. The man removes his hat with the insignia of an eagle in gold. He sits by the tea table, the tea now cold. I have, I have the ideal house for you. Horse takes it in. Thank you, sir. I am deeply appreciative. But I have to discuss it with my wife. She will positively love the house. We can go there now, and you can see for yourself. Now, Commandant? The man stands and gestures to the door, where the other soldier stands, opening it to the evening breeze. Horse doesn't feel he has a choice. He grabs his briefcase and exits with <coughs> an exit. I'm sorry. Woo, I just lost my place. He uh, grabs his briefcase and exits with the brig with the Brigdefuhrer in tow. In the car, the Brigdefuhrer is beaming, proud of his accomplishment. I assure you that you will be very happy with this house. We have provided a housekeeper and washerwoman for your wife. She need not trouble herself with gardening vegetables any longer or washing clothes. Horse takes the input, realizing that the man has been to their home or has sent someone there. Have you informed my wife? 
Fear creeps in the horse voice unintentionally as his thoughts turn to the child who is in their home. Hiding Mila. Hiding Mila. The commandant reaches over from his side of the seat, putting horse hand in reassurance. Patting horse hand in reassurance. At this very moment, she is getting the surprise of her life. Horse looks straight ahead, his jaw working. He begins to sweat and looks down at his briefcase. Would you like some refreshment? You look parched and hot, Herr Schneider. Horst Horst hazards a glance at the commandant next to him, his hand reaching for a handsome leather embossed picnic case. The case springs open to reveal scotch and glasses. Oh no, thank you, I'm fine. Chapter 16 Krista has just started rolling the wall of hidden, start rolling the wall of the hidden door, and that the the hidden door shut that lead. Okay, Krista has just started rolling the wall of the hidden door shut, that leads to the attic stair. Crouched down, she feels herself moving as if in slow motion as she hears two men outside laughing. As Sylvia yells for them to let her go, then the front door below slams open, to her consternation, and she hears her mother's name called out. She distinctly hears her mother's steps approach the door as she hears it. As she, as she holds her breath. Mrs. Snyder, please. We are here to accompany you to see your new home. New home? I'm sorry, I don't understand. Please, your husband is on the way there as well to see to see it. By request of Brit. <laughs> I don't know why this word is going to be strong. Bring the Fury Bear. Oh, really? Christy hears her mother's tone change from terse to calm. It is almost a relief. Then her mother lets out a breath. What is going on with our landlady? Mrs. Snyder, she is no longer your landlady. You no longer need to rent. The commandant will explain. Please follow me. A pause. Please let her go. The man walks heavily to the back door and Krista hears it open. Men, let her go. We need to leave. Laughter, spitting. Krista rolls the, the hidden wall open and emerges, sne- sneaking up to the open window. Outside, the soldiers have let Sylvia go, but not so gracefully. She is lying on the ground as a soldier with a pot belly tosses her among tosses her among the aubergines. Go ahead, Sal. You can have some eggplants. Ha ha. She sees her mother emerge, tossing a shawl around her shoulders. She looks up and makes eye contact with Krista, shaking her head. Krista leans back into the room, apprehensive. Obviously, her mother doesn't want her to be seen. She dashes to her parents' bedroom across the way from Mila's old room and hazards a peek from the windowsill. Outside, two men respectfully help her mother into the back of a black Mercedes, flags of the SS on either side of the car's front fender. Agatha is being escorted in style, but obviously she senses something afoot. As the vehicle pulls away, she sees her mother's face look out from the back seat, a man next to her offering a cigarette. Krista recedes into the room and then bolts for the stairs. Sylvia cleans off her hair, soiled with, soiled with grass and mud from the rough handling of the soldiers. She has some cuts on her arms and a large bruise on her forehead. Please, Sylvia, come into the house and I'll clean those for you. You're so kind. Did your mother tell you what happened to Mila? Krista swallows. She is afraid to ask. She gestures towards the house, withdrawing a handkerchief from a pink pony embroidered on one end. Krista tenderly dabs Sylvia's wounds with it. Come, let's get inside, please. At the kitchen table, Sylvia recounts what she overheard between her mother and Emma. She grasps, she gasps as Krista applies alcohol swabs to her cuts. Expertly, Krista wraps the cuts on her head with a bandage and then the, 
and then the wounds on the arm. Kristen approaches the tea kettle and fills it with water from the faucet. Please, don't worry. I have to go, as they may come back here. I'm sorry to say Mila might tell the soldiers where she was being hidden. Your parents cannot save her this time, and they need to save themselves. Krista swallows. I'm so sorry about your sister. Sylvia looks back, almost in tears. I guess we all have to do what we must do to save ourselves, right? Krista's face shows her compassion towards the woman who was so forgiving. She always felt they somehow betrayed Irma in order to save the Beckmans, who were close friends. But now the SS must know. They just took my mother away. Sylvia shakes her head. No, you're moving out of here. The Gestapo needs your family, I think. They don't want you renting from a Jew. And what are you going to do? Where, where are we to go? Your family will be comfortable. Me? I don't know. They let me go because your mother asked. And? After that, I don't know. I will take it day to day. With that, Sylvia walks to the back door and turns and waves goodbye. Good luck. I can't tell you where I'm going. It's better you know less. She disappears. Krista dashes to the door and watches Sylvia approach the hill behind the vegetable garden. Krista follows, stumbling past vines and grapes, a few lemon trees, and finally up the crest of the hill, which protects, her, which protects their home from the wind and gives them privacy. Sylvia's small figure is ambling towards a farmhouse in the distance. Beyond that, a wooded area that Krista has not noticed before. Krista, sur Krista surveys the area, sees the road leading into the town where the market lies, the city hall where, she, where the Gestapo is now headquartered in their area, and the train station where Mila was caught. Krista sees the bread man and his son, now a teen, with his donkey and cart re returning to the market. He probably only had enough flour to make bread for the SS. These days, only the SS and their soldiers are, the, are a priority. She turns around, eyeing their garden with vegetables and fruit trees. She approaches and notices for the first time the imprints of boots in the mud, the aubergines, and lettuce flattened and trampled. The cabbages and turnips in a pile, trampled upon too, and some smashed. Boot prints are everywhere. The soldiers have destroyed some of the plants. They were obviously meant for Sylvia to see as they were being moved out of there. Anger seizes Crystal like a rolling train at midnight. Fast, loud, and whistling with... Uh, fast, loud, and whistling, and whistling with Venus. Crystal enters the back door and shuts it, wondering who will come for her, trying to control her breath. Where are we moving? She wonders. Where are my parents right now? Where is Mila? Will she betray us for her life? She dashes to the front window, past the kitchen table where the lemonade still sits, now warm, still waiting for Mila to drink, and smile, her warm smile of simple gratitude. The silence of the house deafens her. She feels a deep loneliness and is gripped by confusion and fear. She digs into her pockets, realizing her mother has given her a week's allowance for pulling weeds and tending the, the water to the garden. What was the garden? She counts the money and glances out the window. 17. Horst exits the handsome black Mercedes, the chauffeur, the, the chauffeur appearing at the door in silence, holding it open. The commandant has already ascended the short steps to a cream-colored stone house with blue shutters. Ivy trails on the walls with a large vine of wisteria crowning the entrance portico. Stunned, Horst cannot believe the size of the house and how it looks as if from a French storybook. An older gentleman dressed in a butler's uniform opens the door his waistcoat buttoned, 
He appears dapper, yet subservient. The man salutes, clicking his boots as the commandant and horse enter the foyer. The scents of lemon and verbena assail. Horse senses, I'm sorry, the scents of lemon and, and verbena assail horse senses as he surveys the large foyer. On a table inlaid with marble sits a pale green Celidon vase filled with an arrangement of blue irises, ver, verbena, and pink Gerber daisies. A poorly woman stands nearby, looking prim and stern. She is wearing a standard Nazi uniform. She is buxom. Hair pulled back and looks strikingly familiar. She nods She nods to not acknowledge Horst without a smile. Horst feels the chill despite a warm reception. The commandant is speaking, but his eyes remain fast on the woman, who, remain, who remains without emotion. Then Horst remembers. She is a youth Nazi recruiter who gave Chris to her books. Which were all, which were all for brainwashing the children whom Krista has to read, has to teach. Frau de Dieter something. Horse pretends nothing is amiss. Now listening to his benefactor, who is showing him the parlor, then the large kitchen, the dining room, and finally the veranda, be, the veranda beyond, facing the fields. He wonders where his wife is, and is quickly answered when he, when he hears a car arrive in park. The Brignafier claps his hands with gusto. Ah, at last your wife has arrived. They descend out to the patio line, to the patio line with topiary bushes. On the cobbled drive, Horse sees Agatha exit a vehicle identical to the one he exited several minutes before. The buxom woman descends and intercepts Agatha, who is staring at the house in awe. Her response is similar to Horse. She smiles at the buxom woman, whose name escapes her. Welcome, your new home. You must remember me. Mrs. Schneider. Agatha surveys the woman's features and almost betrays a look of hostility. She quickly regains her composure. Yes, of course. Frau. <laughs> Here we go. Yes, of course. Frau, dear Strassi. Hope I got it right. <laughs> Sorry, Anna. No. Dieter Strassi. Your daughter is getting on very well. Agatha manages to control her anger, recalling the conversation Mila overheard. Once she's settled here, I will have more mentoring to do. She's a quick study. Agatha nods, shivering. The woman notices. Stone homes tend to retain the chill. You'll notice it once you enter. The commandant interrupts, escorting Agatha to the kitchen, with the woman looking on, examining Agatha's back like, like a snake about to strike. Horace follows Agatha, his teeth clenched. The large French doors allow both air and light to enter from the patio into the dining area, lavishly furnished with French provincial furniture and hues of cream and celadon green. Agatha can only imagine the room flowing with guests, but her disappointment shows, shows in her face as she knows the commandant would not like her friends. The Beckmans would be welcome here until the Gestapo discovers their daughter is Mila, who has just been caught and may even be fighting for her life in a camp as they speak. Agatha tries to disguise her, her chagrin, especially from the observant eyes of Krista's mentor. Frau Dieterstrasse. I Dieterstrasse. Okay. Agatha recalls. I'm sorry. Whose name she preferred not to remember. Frau Dieterstrasse. Well, Frau Disaster, Agatha. Okay. Frau, I'm so sorry, you guys. Frau Disaster, Agatha recalls. The woman is right behind them. Horse to her right. The commandant to her left. Besides Horst, she feels surrounded by enemies who may soon discover how Mila managed to survive 
from a disabled child to a budding teen. That thought alone makes her wonder what Krista is doing while she is touring a well-appointed home fit for a baron. Again, her thoughts seem to have been read by the commandant. Your daughter would love this room. The butler, who is leading the way, ascends the carpeted stairs to a long hallway lined with Turkish rug, which smells of wood. The rug is obviously new. The man turns the knob on the first door to the left to reveal a four-poster bed facing the French door, which is open to a large balcony. Beyond the large bed, filled with light green lace, lies a bathroom with, with a beleveled mirror. All manner of stuffed toys, undoubtedly from Frankfurt, line a tall bookshelf in pale pink. The rest of the furniture is also the same color and style, very feminine and soothing. Agatha walks toward the bed, the thick Turkish carpet allowing her feet in the threadbare soles of her shoes to sink. She gasps in awe. The butler points to the bathroom, which has a footed tub and the shower, two sinks, and a bidet. It all looks French. Agatha turns to the butler. French furniture and fixtures? Before the butler can reply, the commandant interrupts. The previous owners were very fastidious and, and impeccable in taste, obviously. However, we changed the carpets as they were soiled and old. Weren't they, hair? The butler looks nervously at the commandant. Yes, sir. They are all new. Even some of the patio stones lead to the gardens right below. The commandant gives the butler a stare, enough to make the man wither. This is an uncomfortable pause, as the man proceeds. There is an uncomfortable pause as the man proceeds to an adjacent door, opening it for Horst and Agatha. After you, Fraulein. It is the master bedroom, which has a mom, which has a mom ceiling, light pale pink walls, and masculine furniture in beechwood. The brass bed is huge. Agatha approaches it, touching the brass, and notes in horror that there are bloodstains on the brass railing of the floorboard. She shrinks, she shrinks away. Immediately, the, but, the butler wipes it with a handkerchief, which he withdraws from his own pocket. Agatha notes the man's hands are shaking as he furiously wipes the stains. Quickly, before Ag Agatha and Horace comment, the commandant swiftly snatches the handkerchief from the butler, pocketing it. He turns, he turns apologetically to the couple, glaring at the butler as he speaks. Sometimes the servants get sloppy. Sometimes someone was eating here and put gravy on the floorboard. To the butler, the commandant tearsly issues a sharp bark. Get a proper rag and wash it with cold water and soap. The man dashes off as if he were hit. This way, please. Two more bedrooms for guests, and then we fetch your daughter. Frau Dieterstrasser interrupts. No need, sir. They are going to get her now. She will be here shortly. The commandant smiles at, at her. Oh, good. She can join us for the, how did the French say it? Apparel, Agatha ventured. The commandant gives Agatha a warm smile. Yes, apparel. You fit the estate well. It, it was owned by a Jewish family who moved here from France. Horst, naive as ever, ventures to quit ventures a question. Where are they now? The commandant clears his throat and looks away. I would imagine they're on a train by now. Those who survived. He starts laughing and is joined by, by, by <laughs> my gosh. He starts laughing and is joined by Frau Dierterstrasse. Sorry about that, guys. 18. A banging. Krista fell asleep, crying in her bedroom. She sits up, dashes to the window, and looks out 
and looks out at the garden below. She runs across to Mila's old room and hears the doorknob shake below. She leans over the sill and sees a black Mercedes, lights with a swastika flying in the breeze. She pauses, wondering why the entourage. A man down below in uniform looks up in time to catch Krista's eyes. Krista gasps. Krista? Krista Schneider? She ducks. Come down, please. Your parents are waiting for you. Frau... <clears throat> Here's that. Here we go again. Frau Dierstrasse is also there. Krista sits on the floor, conflicted. What if this is a trap? What would the Frau be there for? Quickly, Krista digs in her pockets and reveals the meager cash her mother gave her the day before. Down below, someone shakes the door. Krista bolts for Mila's room, pulling the curtains off the rods. She ties them together and descends from the window, reaching for a trellis that used to hold her mother's climbing vines, long dead. Using the trellis and curtains like an improvised ladder, Krista clambers down, but a hand reaches for her. She almost screams. It is Sylvia. You're back. Sylvia puts a finger across her lips and tugs her to hurry. Krista follows her to the other end of the house, where the trestle tables, once laden with festive food on her birthday, lie. Leaves and twigs now litter the tops of the tables. Now, just a memory, it seems long ago when she and Mila walked on to the group of cheering neighbors and friends to greet her on a special day. She remembers Mila's, covered, Mila's eyes covered in long bangs so as to prevent others from seeing her eyes, which betrayed her disability. She wonders now, too, if Sylvia will betray her presence and Mila's source of refuge in return for betraying Irma. Too late, Krista is following Sylvia. She has to trust her until she is sure her parents are really safe. How can she find out? She thinks it through as they both sneak back towards the distant farmhouse. Surely her parents will return for her if everything is fine. Or was this the soldier sent to reunite her with them? There is only one way to find out. Sylvia. Sylvia turns, brushing her hair from her eyes. The farmhouse is abandoned, and there is food in the cupboards. Hurry. I have to go back. I think the soldier is there to take me to my new house. My parents surely are there, as he said. Sylvia looks on. Are you sure they haven't found out about Mila? No, I'm not sure. I don't know how else I will find out, though. What if your parents are being deported to the camps? But Sylvia, you said yourself that they were taking them to a house, away from here. You said you're free because of Mama. If you... Sylvia, I appreciate your help, believe me. But I must find out what has happened to my parents. Either way, I want to be with them. House or camp. They're leaving. Sylvia gestures towards the Black Mercedes, the men inside pulling away from the house. Krista stands unsure. I think I might be endangering you by being with you. Sylvia pulls her down. Please stay. If you decide to leave, you're free to go. I will protect you meanwhile. Krista's eyes, Krista eyes the cotton star on Sylvia's breast. She wonders who is being protected. I will walk the town. If I see another soldier, I will ask where my parents are. If I see danger, then I will escape. At least I know where we stand as a family. It's only a matter of time, Krista. Mila will talk in exchange for her life. I hope they allow her to live. I hope they allow her to live. They may not. They may also do something to your parents once they find out who kept Mila. Krista, see Krista seized in conflict, appears tormented. Sylvia gives her a brief smile. Come on, sleep on it. The town will be here. That will be there tomorrow. If you decide to go, the Gestapo will take a, the Gestapo was taken over, and it won't it won't be that easy to get rid of them. Convinced and in conflict, she allows Sylvia to lead her. Chapter 19
Agatha opens one armoire after another, laden with men's and women's clothing. Whoever lived there lived lavishly. Shoes line the floor, all made in high fashion and of quality. She turns the horse, the sun fading outside. It's almost dinner time. Where do you think Krista went? The commandant searched our house top to bottom. Surely they know about the attic room behind Vlashdad. That This he says in a whisper. Agatha shivers. A timid knock. It is one of the soldiers. Herr Schneider, sorry to interrupt. The commandant realizes that your daughter is missing and would like to take you back to locate her and get your belongings as well. Horse looks on pensive. I'd like to ask that Agatha and I both go. Our daughter was taught not to go with anyone with, without us there. After all, she is only 12. Yes, sir. The commandant understands that. Are you ready to go in a few minutes, sir? Please. The couple exit the vehicle in front of their old home. Agatha looks up, already sensing Krista is not anywhere near the house. The soldier exits and stands near the couple. Why would she not go here, Schneider? The soldier said she slipped out the window and down using curtains in the back of the house, a strange way to accept living arrangements that are much better. Defensively, Agatha offers an explanation. She was not told, as we ourselves didn't know the surprise. Aren't surprises always good ones? This I asked naively without menace. This is asked naively without menace. Our daughter is an only child. She is extra cautious. She is German. No need to be cautious. Orson Agatha, Agatha ignored the last statement and entered the empty house. They searched the rooms, yelling Krista's name. Sir, if I may suggest you gather what you may need for the evening and label the furniture for the movers, we will return with you tomorrow in the morning, and you can ask about your daughter's whereabouts. Agatha glances back. That's thoughtful of you, but we need only take our clothes. The house comes furnished. Again, please feel free to take whatever furniture you need. The landlady won't be needing it. This last statement sends shivers through Agatha's least frame. She proceeds to open a cupboard and pulls out some clothing. Then she sees Mila's pinafore. Tears well in her eyes. Krista walks with tired feet, exhausted from walking through brush. Just a few yards away, she spots the farmhouse looking forlorn and abandoned in the late afternoon light. Ahead of her, Sylvia trudges along, glancing back now and then to check on her. Then, the sounds of car motors. She glances back and thinks she hears her mother yelling. Then her father's voice. Krista! Krista! She stops. Turning, she spots her father at the open window of Mila's old room. It's safe! Come out! Papa! Krista bolts for the house. Sylvia gives chase, trying to reach her. Krista, no, it might be a trap. Krista is running as if her life depends on it. No, Sylvia, I don't want to live apart from them. What will happen will happen. Krista runs to the crest of the hill, waving, yelling. Sylvia is right behind her. Papa, I'm here. Papa, don't leave. The soldier looks out the window next to Horst. I see her, sir. Horst waves in joy. I see you, sweetheart. I will come down and wait for you. Excuse me. Allergies. Sylvia pulls at Krista's dress, but she does not pause. Krista keeps running. The soldier emerges with a rifle aimed at them. Krista keeps running as she sees Agatha looking out from another window. Krista reaches the crest of the hill with Sylvia right behind her. Krista slips down the hill and Sylvia reaches the top. A shot rang out. Gunfire. Sylvia screams. A gurgle. Krista turns from her position on the ground. Sylvia lies in a pool of blood, a hole right in the center of her chest. Her eyes glaze as as a death rattle ensues. Oh, God, no. Krista. The soldier steps out with Agatha and Horst, right behind them. They are rushing to meet Krista, 
who was getting up, looking at Sylvia on the ground. Someone help. Why? Why? Horst yells, get away, Krista. She's dead. She's gone. The soldier comes up, pulling the crying Krista up to her feet. She backs away from him, shocked at what he did to Sylvia. Agatha rushes up to hug her daughter. You almost shot my daughter, Horst yells, alarmed. A soldier feels for a purse on Sil for the for a purse on Sylvia's wrist. Finding none, he kicks Sylvia's body away. What matters is that your daughter is now safe from her. We can now leave. Krista protests, but she was protecting me. Both Agatha and Horse look on in alarm, but they look away, unable to unable to protest. Krista searches her mother's face in tears. Mama, where are we going now? A soldier yells at Krista. Come, it grows late. The house is waiting. Another soldier stands by the open Mercedes. It sounded like an order. The family walks away from Sylvia's body and towards the waiting car. Krista looks back at Sylvia's body as they head for the car and into a new life. She feels numb. Chapter 20 Krista lies on the canopied bed, feeling the, feeling the satin sheets enveloping her. She pulls up a soft pillow in the shade of the pastel blue and pink florets. She pauses, listening. Eventually, she turns to the French windows and hides her body under the sheets as she looks at the balcony beyond, the wrought iron filigree pattern reminiscent of a house she used to admire in Frankfurt. Trouble furrows her, her brows. Her nerves on edge from witnessing Sylvia being shot in her tracks as she tried to reach Krista. The young woman was attempting to protect her and died doing so. Both sisters, Irma and Sylvia, were good landladies. Good German citizens good, whose sense of integrity prevailed until the very end. Now they are both dead, and here she is, lying in a bed, living in a house that doesn't belong to them. The house doesn't belong to Nazis either. It was taken from a family, struck down and murdered because of who they were. Krista sits up. She looks at the beautiful French provincial clock on the mantelpiece near her, a study in cream and gold. It reads 2 a.m. She can't sleep. She feels her young heart thumping in her chest. She could have saved Sylvia's life if she had followed her to the farmhouse and slept there until morning. Then leaving Sylvia there, she could have walked to the town on her own, finding out about Mila and her parents. Sylvia would have been alive until she could have moved on to another hiding place. Without Krista, she had no one to protect. Krista swings her feet to the polished floor. It gleams and smells of fresh lemon. Patting softly across the Persian, across the Persian carpet to grab her robe, which is also new, she wraps it around her thin frame and edges quietly towards the door to her new bedroom. The beauty, the elegance, oh, door of her new bedroom, I'm sorry. The beauty and elegance of the feminine room accented with small cherub, cherubim painted on the edges of the ceiling does nothing to soothe Krista. Its quiet beauty is lost on her as she mourns Mila and Sylvia, both lost within the space of days to a tragic end. Does beauty matter in a space of, in a space of serenity where there is injustice? She could be in the midst of a slum and be happy if she knows her friends are all around her. But then she thinks, I'm 12. Every 12-year-old needs, needs her friends. Right now, most of her friends are teaching younger students the same books she has to use. She just couldn't bring herself to use them until one afternoon. Until one afternoon, Fran Dieter Strauss asked one of her charges a rule that is in the book. The poor kid had no idea and began to try. 
then perceiving failure, cried with pride. Krista swiftly came to the rescue, indicating that the child was not there when they were discussing the chapter. Krista thought the Frau would let it go with that, but later she got a stern lecture about the importance of tutoring the children who got left behind when absent. Krista picks up one of the books now, piled high on a desk that looks very feminine and tasteful. She feels dwarfed by the bedroom and marvels at the warmth of the room due to its pastel colors. Bright and airy, she likes it and looks forward to inviting her friends to the topiary garden, which needs no maintenance from her, as a previous tenant's gardener was retained. Tears come to her eyes as she, as she wonders what Mila, feeling alone and probably in fear for her life, she wonders about Mila, sorry, feeling alone and probably in fear for her life. She throws the book against the settee by the windows, the upholstery matching the bedspread, the other chairs in the room, and a section of the wallpaper. It is lavish beyond her own imagination. She wishes Mila could see it all, be right next door, playing and singing in a low voice as she did every morning. Krista steps into the bathroom, her very own, and marvels at the thick Turkish towels hanging and waiting for her. She reaches for the gold knob of the shower, twists it, and a warm flow of water issues from the spigot above. No more heating water for her bath. Magic. Krista luxuriates in the warmth, then turns it to, to cool so she can awaken. Stepping out of the cold tile, she reaches for the plush towel and fastens it around her, hair dripping. At the large mirror of the dresser, she looks back at her reflection, then reaches for her old comb, a plain turquoise shell affair, her mother purchased when she was seven years old. The large, be the, the large beveled mirror, gilded in gold filigree, reflects a large armoire behind her, cream-colored and also gilded in gold. Krista turns, now curious, eyeing her unopened luggage, which was hastily packed before she could even say goodbye to the neighbors. Then she looks at the armoire. Opening it, she marvels at the clothes. It seems filled with fine clothing for a girl about her age. She feels herself starting to enjoy it, like a candy store in the middle of August. Playfully, she closes her eyes and decides she will arbitrarily pick out what she wants to wear that day, as there are numerous dresses. Eyes shut, she reaches out her hand among the clothing lined up on the hangers, left to right. Then finally, she reaches in. Inside the armoire, a pale feminine hand, about the size of her own hands, about the size of her own, hands her unsuspecting hand at hanger, a blue pop sleeve breast with a prim neckline and empire waist. Her hands secure around the hanger, Krista's eyes pop open, and she grins with approval. It is perfect. 21. Agatha looks through the cupboards, all fitted and connected to the walls, all around the brightly lit kitchen, with beam ceilings. Like her old kitchen, the windows let in the air and sunlight but for some reason she feels a distinct chill even on the hot summer morning. A truck is coming at noon with horse riding with the driver, a soldier, or two appointed to help the family move the rest of their belongings. There is really little furniture to move, and she is glad for that, as the house already has some handsome furnishings she, she and Horst always hope to have with the rising fame of his tailoring skills. Now they have all the furniture they wanted, and she wonders what it will cost what cost it comes at what cost it comes she truly hopes it is not at the cost of someone's life or misfortune agatha feels very conflicted and saddened that mila will not see nor benefit from their instant luxury and that it costs sylvia her life 
just like it did with Sylvia's older sister, Irma. She plans on going into town, now an easy walk from the other end of Blankenbach, where they are now surrounded not by farmer's fields, but a street with lights and cobble walkways separate from the village street. She will miss their vegetable garden in the back of the house and the villagers, especially the Beckmans. The Beckmans. She must check on Emma and see if she has heard or seen Mila. Mila. She asked Horse about paying a visit, but he's serenely cautioned against any further contact for the moment, as the Gestapo and the brown shirts in the, in the village might be watching for any talk of Mila, especially the Nazi youth, youth since one child gave Mila away. Krista enters the kitchen crisp, crisp in the new dress from the armoire. She eyes the danishes on the counter, the coffee pot, and the large pitcher of milk. She sits still, adjusting to the opulence of the room, noting the silence and the absence of her father and Mila. Agatha seems to be reading her thoughts. Your father got up early to return to the house to get the rest of our things. A soldier with the truck collected him this morning. Krista pours herself a glass of milk, the cream from it lining the upper half of the glass. She reaches for a Danish filled with cheese, but she does not have much of an appetite. She munches, thinking of what chores to do, as there is a washerwoman outside the back door looking to do laundry. It is, sun it is a Sunday, and she normally helps her mother do laundry and hang it out to dry. The woman, a thin and pale lady, is wearing a brown outfit, obviously a brown shirt. Civilians recruited a spy on other civilians to ascertain their loyalty to the Reich. The thought makes Krista shiver. She makes a mental note not to trust the woman or engage in any conversation that may jeopardize them. Agatha busies herself make, making lime juice as Krista eats in silence. Agatha turns to watch the washerwoman enter and toss, and toss a large and empty wicker basket that held the dirty laundry out of the kitchen floor. The woman exits the back door, nods towards Agatha without a word, and shuts the door behind her. Soon, they hear a splashing as their clothing is being washed by hand. Krista makes eye contact with Agatha, who then nods knowingly. Agatha walks towards the windows near the back door where the woman is outside and proceeds to silently close the shutters. Krista overhears her explaining, it keeps it cool, which Krista knows is for the benefit of the washerwoman, who may be listening. The sunlight is coming in from the back. Agatha walks back towards Krista, still whispering, I was thinking of going to town just to see if there's any information on Mila's whereabouts. Krista looks up in alarm. No, Papa forbade us. I know, but Mama... Okay, let's unpack today, and I will see about tomorrow or the next. Better? I will be in school, then the youth classes. You don't need to go with me. It may be best if I'm alone. What if you see Emma? She will want you to help. She might get emotional again, as you said. We shall see. Okay, we're going to stop there. All right, uh, just in chapter 21, going into chapter 22. So I'll make a note of that for next week. Great book. Love reading it. Um, very, very, very fascinating book. And the more I get, the more I read, the, the, the more I want to see of it. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming today uh, to spend part of your Sunday with me. And uh, we'll be back next Sunday, 6 p.m. Pacific. Um, uh, tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, California Haunts Radio. Uh, attorney Sam Peroni is going to be with me, and uh, he has done some research into the Natalie Wood case and has written a book. He's come up with some new witnesses and new, uh, new evidence that possibly is going to um, be brought up at a later time. 
you know, to see what's going on with Natalie Wood. So we're going to interview him about his book and, and, what, and what he's found out. So that'll be 6.30 p.m. tomorrow. I want to thank everybody for coming. Um, I hate to do this, but at the bottom, if you see uh, you see that ticker going, and that's because we're a nonprofit. We are a nonprofit, so everything you see here comes out of my pocket. If I need new equipment, it comes out of my pocket. You can find it in your heart to donate because I want to keep keep these shows coming. I'm enjoying doing them. This not only just this, but the other stuff we do. You know, as far as as, as far as doing all the all the interview shows and stuff, I love doing it. And so, the more the merrier, right? So PayPal.me at California Haunts, or if you like Venmo and then type in California Haunts, you can donate from there. Also, um, if you're watching from YouTube, click on that little ghost guy with the uh, with the Sherlock Holmes hat on, the magnifying glass, and uh, subscribe. Got lots of videos on there you guys can check out. Okay, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the, if you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We like equal opportunity here. All right. Anyway, so I'm going to take off, finish off my Sunday. I hope you have a great rest of the week. I hope you have a great rest of the evening and good night.